pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you that you have sought us out. And um, <clears throat> we thank you that uh, you are a good shepherd to us, Lord Jesus Christ. That you gather us in and you are willing to give your own life in defense of us. And we thank you that you have done that ultimately in the cross. And we thank you, Father and Son, for sending us your spirit. Those sheep, we might uh, be as strong as war horses in our uh, battle against our sin and against our flesh, that we might struggle to remain in the flock which, which you have brought us into. We thank you that, Father, Son, and Spirit, you have worked this great work of redemption motivated by your love and your glory. And we pray that now you would help us to see, uh, see you clearly and see your work clearly, see ourselves clearly. And, and may we have open ears and eyes and, and soft hearts. And may you fill our mouths with joy and praise. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, in our passage this morning, God is fired up. As he says in verse 3, he is furious with the shepherds. Not literal shepherds, the kind who care for white, woolly, living lawnmowers. No, he's coming in hot against the rulers of his people. In the metaphor of sheep and shepherds, God's people are sheep, while the appointed leaders are shepherds. It's a metaphor, it's intended to honestly convey the reputation of God's people. Like sheep, we are prone to wander into danger. And the metaphor also conveys the necessary character of those whom God has called to be leaders of his people. Like shepherds, it is their job to guide, govern, guard, and provide for their sheep, the people of God. This kind of imagery is not unique to Zechariah. God's leaders are pictured as shepherds all throughout the Old Testament. Abel, the, the righteous brother of Cain, is described as a keeper of sheep in Genesis 4. Whether or not he actually tended to the animals, Abraham is described in Genesis as being very rich in livestock. Before Moses had his burning bush experience, he was busy minding his own business, tending his father-in-law's flock of sheep. And David, of course, was out in the fields tending to the sheep when Samuel arrived at Jesse's house to anoint the next king of Israel. There was such a, a close association between shepherds and leaders that leaders were called shepherds even if they weren't actually herding any lamb chops in waiting. These were the kind of shepherds that God was raging against in Zechariah 10. They were the leaders appointed to care for his people like a shepherd might care for sheep. But they incited the fury of God by neglecting their responsibility. The sheep in Zechariah 10 are described in verse 2 as wandering and afflicted because their shepherds, their very own shepherds, have abandoned them. A good shepherd would see a wolf or a bear coming and stay with his sheep in order to defend them. In fact, when David was trying to talk people into letting him fight Goliath, he pointed out that on more than one occasion, he had killed a lion or a bear that were trying to score from his flock a little mutton for lunch. 
David was a good shepherd, but the shepherds appointed to care for God's people returning from exile had not only failed to defend their flock, but they had led them into a lion's den. These shepherds were not leading their flocks beside still waters. Their rod and their staff lent no comfort. They were not leading their sheep through the valley of the shadow of death, but setting up camp in the darkness. It was the opposite of their calling. And chapter 10 begins with an invitation to ask God for rain, a, a symbol of his benevolent provision. And the invitation is a sign that though God is angry with the shepherds, he is not yet unwilling to respond to requests of him. Rain made the land beautiful, it caused food to grow, and God was eager to provide these things for his people if they but asked. But neither the shepherds nor the people ever asked God for rain. The people didn't because the shepherds didn't, and the people took their cues from this leadership. Seeking comfort or clarity, the shepherds instead consulted what verse 2 calls diviners or teraphim. The teraphim referenced here were most likely images of, of dead ancestors, right? They were idols. One scholar points out that consulting and venerating ancestors was a key feature in the worship of Canaan. The basic idea was that relatives who had preceded you in death now had more knowledge in their spiritual state and would theoretically be willing to assist their living descendants. And the diviners mentioned here were a people who in the ancient world would do such strange things as read the entrails, particularly the liver, of dead animals in order to provide guidance about the future. It perhaps it's no surprise to you that consulting such people was explicitly prohibited in both Deuteronomy and 1 Samuel. Both of these practices were at best a, a manipulation of inanimate objects to confirm some preconceived prophecy or at worst, a meddling in a spiritual world that was mysterious and menacing. Neither were good for humanity. Neither could ever satisfy the thirst of the human soul for comfort and security. In verse 2, God says these diviners lie and they utter nonsense. They promise comfort where there is no comfort, and they lay out dreams for the future that will never come true. Pursuing these things was vanity. Right? They were taking their cues from the culture while God watched and waited for their efforts to inevitably prove empty. Maybe then they will turn to me. Just ask me, is what God says, to those searching under every rock for the thing that will finally bring rest to their soul. Just ask me. In his compassion, he's eager to answer anyone who calls out to him. But we, like the sheep we are, would rather exhaust our other options first. We prefer an independent solution, something we can do for ourselves. Like the people in Zechariah 10, we take our cues from the culture in which we live. So we comfort ourselves with sentimental sayings or self-medicate with substances and sex. We throw ourselves into our work, hoping to find meaning there to achieve future security. Like Wendy Peppercorn, we oil and lotion, lotion and oil, and we nip and tuck here or there in order to outpace the effects of age. We collect followers and we seek out approval like a pig searching for truffles. We turn good things into idols that cannot sustain the weight of our hopes or insecurities. We crush those things on which we depend or they enslave us and we are left emptier than when we began. It's self-destruction 
And this was what the shepherds were teaching God's people. The shepherds were acting like sheep and the sheep were lost and staggering as a result. They were hungry, but the shepherds could not help them find anything that would fill them up. The shepherds could not even provide for themselves. Therefore, out of his compassion and out of his anger, two sides of the same coin, God decides to take action. He decides to punish the negligent leadership and to set out in pursuit of the sheep that, have led, that the shepherds have led astray. Again, it's important to remind you that we are not talking about literal sheep here. We're talking about people like you and like me who have wandered from God through our own fault and through the failures of those who are supposed to serve as our guides. We have wandered into the foreign land of our sin, represented in this passage beginning in verse 10 by the countries of Assyria and Egypt. Assyria and Egypt are used as the representatives of sin because this is where God sent his people when they refused to repent of their sin. They could accurately be called the land of Israel's sin because that's where their sin landed them. For many years, Assyria and Egypt squabbled and fought over control of the promised land that was sandwiched between these two heavy-hitting nations. And not only were Assyria and Egypt the places where the people were exiled, but these nations dealt harshly with God's people when they lived there. The people were slaves and foreigners. We give ourselves to sin and it ravages us. We become dislocated and lost, foreigners in our own skin. The world of sin promises freedom and it enslaves us instead. Assyria and Egypt were perfect ciphers for the condition of men and women in the state of sin. But in verse 10, God says, I'll bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. I will bring them to the land of Gilead and Lebanon until there is no room for them. Now, it's easy for us to trace the geographical movement of a relocation from Egypt to Gilead and from Assyria to Lebanon, but with Assyria and Egypt serving as representatives for the land of our sin, what does it mean for God to bring us home from the dark and self-destructive places that we have wandered? means that God's, God brings us out of the guilt of our sin and he sets us free from its influence. God does not just forgive us from a distance, but leave us in a land where we are slaves. Now in verse 10, which I already quoted for you, God says, I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And in verse six, he declares, I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. Where is home for us but the bosom of our Father, the cradle of our Creator? Where is home for us but in the pleasure and glory of our God who pronounces his blessing over us? You are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. The heart of God is a place of peace and rest. Here we are free because we are fully known and yet loved anyway. He knows we are sheep and yet he holds us close. His grace is greater than our sin. And so he forgives us from any deviant thought or manipulative act or cruel words spoken. God bringing us home means reconciliation with our God and Father. But, but God does not bring us home only to let us wander away again. He brings us home and he changes us 
He sets us free from the influence of sin so that given the opportunity to wander, we will freely choose to stay at home with him. This is what he was meant in verse three when God says that he will make his sheep like a proud war horse. Notice that he doesn't say he will make us into war horses, but that he will make us like war horses. We remain sheep. And yet, quoting verse five, together we shall be like warriors in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. And quoting verse 12, we will be strong in the Lord. God makes strong his beloved children whom he rescues from the slavery of sin. Though sheep, they are like war horses. Though timid, he makes them bold. Our New Testament passage is a perfect example of this work of God, this transformation. In Acts 4, Peter and John had just been arrested because they annoyed the priests and the Sadducees. They had captured the attention of a large crowd by healing a crippled man and seizing the opportunity began to teach the people in this crowd about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the Sadducees were annoyed by this because they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And being the ones with the power, they arrested Peter and John and they began to interrogate them. You know, who are you? What do you think you're doing? Those sorts of questions. And in the course of their interrogations, verse 13 tells us that they discovered that Peter and John were uneducated and ordinary men, and that this discovery amazed them. It amazed the Sadducees to learn that Peter and John were uneducated and ordinary men, sheep, you might call them, because they were acting with extraordinary boldness and courage, the sort of boldness expected only from the philosophers of the day, or you might imagine from war horses in battle. These sheep were standing up to the Sadducees without any regard for their own life. They were standing up to the Sadducees who thought it would be easy to intimidate such ordinary men, but in the end, all the Sadducees could do was issue empty threats that Peter and John brushed away and then they had to let the two men go. The Sadducees were left powerless before these sheep who behaved like war horses in the face of threats to their own lives. And once they were released though, Peter and John ran home to their friends and it's when they were with their friends that we learned the true source of their strength. Peter and John slammed the door behind them and almost immediately they began praying with their friends that God would continue to provide them with the necessary boldness to remain faithful in the face of threats to their lives. You see, Peter and John were shaking in their boots the whole time. They recognized that the boldness they exhibited was of divine origin. God had strengthened his sheep in order that they might not wander from him under the pressure of threats from a powerful people. Peter and John knew the source of their strength was from beyond them, and so they asked God to keep it coming. They asked God to send the rain, and he did so gladly. He replied in the affirmative by shaking the room, and the Holy Spirit filled them all so that these sheep among wolves might continue to behave like war horses. This is what it means for God to bring us home. 
He forgives us. He reconciles us back to himself, but he also changes us so that we are strengthened to resist the temptations of sin and stand firm against the social and cultural pressures that call us into a way into a foreign land of sin and selfishness. The Apostle Paul famously declared, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is a verse that is often used in support of those who want to do great and significant things, right? things that will endure that will leave a legacy, leave people in awe. But if you look at the passage more closely, you'll notice that the all things Paul is able to do through Christ who strengthens him is to live with much and to live with little and never wander from God. Christ enables Paul to suffer and to not wander. He also enables Paul to experience the ease of success and to not wander. See, both suffering and success each cause sheep to wander for different reasons. But Christ made Paul content with himself so that his affections and his allegiance to Christ did not shift with his circumstances. This is a divine work on display in a fickle people. This is a sheep acting like a warhorse. It is more difficult for us to be content with Christ than it is to climb the highest mountain or to build the biggest empire. Forgiving one another, apologizing, exercising self-control over our bodies, especially our tongues, living humbly before one another. These are some of the hardest things that every human being faces on a daily basis and regularly fails to do well. Although insignificant feeling, these are the sorts of victories that are truly glorious because in them we're living according to our design. We were created to be in possession of ourselves, but we ceded that possession to an adversary in the garden. We made Satan our shepherd. He has happily led us astray for generations. But God has come to bring us home and the Holy Spirit puts us back in possession of ourselves in order that we might silence Satan and instead ask God for what is good and holy and true. He's eager to send that rain. God makes sheep like war horses and he gets the credit for our victories because even in victory, we have not ceased to be sheep. His strength is our victory. He makes us bold and content and him we are like war horses. And it's this sort of contentment and boldness paired with his peace and forgiveness that God gives to you as his sheep when he brings you home. And here in the presence of this gracious God, he watches over us. You see, God has become for us a shepherd. And like a good shepherd, he is committed to the sheep in his care. But his commitment is reinforced by a compassion and empathy that no human being could ever fully possess for another species. We may love our golden retrievers and tabby cats, but understand them we cannot. Why does the dog return to its vomit? That is something we cannot understand. It confuses and repulses us to the core. A shepherd may love his sheep, but understand them he cannot. But that's not the case with Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is a shepherd who became like a sheep.
He is God and became a human being in order that he might govern and guide us with true compassion and true patience and true wisdom because he knows what it is like to be a sheep. He knows the temptations of the flesh and the sheepish impulse to wander astray. He's not confused by us, nor is he repulsed. He's moved to compassion and he invites us to come to him because he is able to satisfy us with his love so that we no longer want to stray. He's able to defend us from all temptations coming from without and from within so that we no longer sin. He is able to keep us because despite our many wanderings and failures, he has bought us. We are his. As a sheep, Jesus never wandered. He never gave into temptation. And when the wolf came for us, the flock that had gone astray, Jesus ran out to meet it and he lay down before it. He offered himself up as a sacrifice in order to satisfy the death that would inevitably come to a defenseless and lost sheep wandering around with no idea where to find true food. In his death, Jesus gave his life as a sheep in order that we might be spared. In the death of Jesus, we see the need to return to God, the shepherd of our souls. Our wandering cost the Son of God his life. Should have been us. But in the resurrection, this victorious Lamb of God returns as a compassionate shepherd to collect the sheep he died to save. It is in and through Jesus that we are brought home back to the safety and bosom of the Father. In Jesus, we are reconciled to our God and to our Creator. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit sent to us by the Father and by the Son, we are filled with a contentment and a boldness never to wander again. In our passage this morning, Jesus was furious with the shepherds, and he grieved for the sheep who were wandering on their account. And so he became a sheep to save us and a shepherd to care for our souls. By the power of the Holy Spirit, let us wander from him no longer, but may the sheep be like war horses before our God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.